Welcome to Lift Your Leg. This is Monique Cancy from Victoria, BC, from The Naughty Dog and author of As a Dog Thinketh. And Jill Brown from Calgary, Alberta, and The Bag Lady. And Matt Twitty with Cherokee, Alabama, with Start to Finish Dog Training. Who's starting us off? <laughs> Didn't you really have some great news to share about like our ranking? I do. And thank you, everyone, for getting us to this point. On Apple Podcasts, we managed to make it into number two for the how-to for Canada and number 14 in the USA. So thank you, everyone, for listening to us and sharing us and passing us around. Yes, super awesome. We're going to continue the Reactive Dog Series with a lot of people that truly were interested in the Reactive Dog Series. And it's so needed. And so today we're going to be talking about tips for dealing with your reactive dogs. We really need to define reactivity because reactivity is not aggression and aggression is not reactivity. Like they get lumped in together. Don't you agree? Totally. I think it's just being politically correct. We've started to call every dog that's responding towards others reactive. And that's just not the case. Reactive has a very specific meaning. Yeah, I, I think that you have true game-bred aggression, which is genetic, where you're going to have a dog that would run 10 miles down the road to kill another dog. And then you've got defensiveness, where dogs feel trapped, and they're just like, I need to get you before you get me, which is largely fear-based. I was going to say, and then you have dogs that are reactive or different triggering factors. So I, I'm super excited to hear you talk on this because I know this is something that you deal with even more than I do in your own practice. For me, a reactive dog is somebody who is reacting to a space being invaded, at least at the start. Then through the success of using his big voice and using his teeth, he gets braver, more confident, realizes the other dogs go away or his person drags him away. From there, the problem just starts building from his successes. That's reactivity. But this is where it gets totally difficult to define things like this because reactivity with success ends up looking like aggression. Then requires you of knowing how to read dogs because they just don't have that same presence and power there backing it up. True aggression is going to be more purposeful and they're not going to waste energy on things like foolish barking that doesn't have a, a very defined purpose in that moment. They're not wasting their energy, going to be more quiet. Odd thing I've seen through the years is often these dogs are ripped with muscles, even if they aren't getting that much exercise or they've been living at the pound, they're still ripped like way more muscular than most other dogs. I think that's a very big tell. I'll work with the flabby dogs any day. Today, I had a great seminar in Moscow, Tennessee at Training on the Square. So shout out to all those people. And at the end, during a photo, one of the dogs that I work with a lot decided he didn't like the golden next to him. To me, that's a little bit of reactivity. He was reacting to being shoved in with a bunch of golden retrievers. He's not an aggressive dog at all. He's really not overly reactive, but he was reacting to that. And so I loved your definition there. And dogs don't have to like everyone. I think we've gotten into this weird space where expecting them to like everyone 
And if they don't, we think that there's an issue. They don't need to like, they need to have one or two dog friends, but they don't need to like other dogs. They just need to learn to mind their manners with other dogs. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. We were talking about dogs that are truly like aggressive, which is a very different category than a reactive dog. With your aggressive dogs, most of the leashes and equipment that you can buy at pet stores are not designed for a dog like that. I, you need to have a stainless steel snap. And one of the only places I know to purchase something like that is Leerberg, L-E-R-B-U-R-G.com. They do have proper equipment for dogs like that. I was just walking with a client a couple of weeks back and I was explaining this to her and we happened to have two leashes on her dog because I don't trust clients' leashes. So I was explaining this to her and it was like that perfect timing that her snap came undone and just set her dog free. But I had my second leash on. It was like, oh, there, the universe is showing you exactly what I'm saying. So don't trust your, the, most of the local equipment is not designed for dogs like that. Right. Go buy the proper stuff. Also yeah, especially the uh, quick release collars. Yes, bad idea. No quick release collars. You need the old ones that were like, do, do up like a belt. Yeah. And don't rely on a prong collar because we all know that they fall apart too. Yep. Yep. And your prong collar may be actually causing more harm than good, especially with dogs that go up with an aversive. If they get a little bit of a, a pop on a pinch collar it may be going up not down we want the dog to not go up at that moment <laughs> yep you just said yeah. something there that i want to add to if you have a dog that's very reactive to his environment so a little difference is going to get a big response in your dog that's the dog that you need to whisper to so any leash handling needs to be subtle like fingertip light tickle him with a feather your voice needs to be calm low whisper when he's in that state often it's often people are getting excitable with their dogs make sure you do the opposite go down in your energy smooth your movement slow down your movement or make sure you're standing still everything just needs to be smooth subtle soft yeah, and make sure that you're not using a tool that also does the opposite. So you might be calm, but if you're using a pinch collar and, and it's making your dog go up, like that needs to stop. I find that to be something that's quite interesting. A lot of times when people are, are using tools that they're either A, just used to, like this is just what we do. You know, I've been training dogs a long time, so this dog has a pinch collar on. If it's sending the dog up, that's not the headspace that we want them in, even if you're calm. So even if your body's doing the right thing, your tool may be hurting you. Said. Yep. Matthew, you were going to talk about space. I love when I am dealing with, I deal with a lot of, a ton of herding dogs. Um, so like herding dogs are the best at telling you that they need space. So uh, we have a border collie here that doesn't get, super along with everybody she is here for training and i'm just doing sheep work with her but she has to get along with my pack because i want to take her on walks and exercise her and all that um she is great 
when we're moving in large spaces. As long as we're moving and we're in large spaces, you would never know that she absolutely dislikes other dogs. It's when we stop moving and we're in tight enclosed spaces where you can start to see her behavior bubble up. I really use a lot of walking and giving space to that dog and it really helps manage her in that way. Could she do in tight if you're moving or standing still in open? She can do both of those things. Okay. She can do both of those. But she's more relaxed and we're moving. She feels more comfortable in her own skin and she can be the sweet dog that she is. Thank you. I think that's the same for most dogs too. Standing still that. is hard. Tight spaces too, really challenging for dogs. And to me, this is why so many dogs struggle in daycares, but are so much better out with a dog walker climbing a mountain. They'll succeed there. They can get along with other dogs. But being in daycare can build some of these characters, even if you're not seeing it. Yes, That's like something the, that you're always getting on people about in your, in your groups, Monique. In off-leash social, people can't stand still. They yeah. have to keep moving. But if it's passing by on the street, sometimes standing still is easier than moving. So it does depend. It's like that Orange is the New Black song, Standing Still is Hard. <laughs> yeah. It, it really can be. All right, Jilly, you said be aware. Yeah. It's, it goes back to one of the other podcasts we had where it's do something. Don't just stand there and do nothing. Doing something is better than doing the wrong something is better than doing the right nothing. But just be aware and do something before the evil thoughts turn into evil actions Said one step ahead of your dog that's going back to that implied consent if they're staring at another dog with two ears locked onto their target they're telling you what their plans are and if you choose to say nothing that is implied consent yeah one of my big things is checking the dog's momentum i in the perfect world and this isn't the case for every dog because some dogs are not going to be able to give you this I'm looking for neutral. If I did a fake drop of my leash, is my dog going to stop with me or stick with me or is he going to shoot off like a bullet? That's how you know if your momentum is at neutral. Another thing I'm always doing when I'm out there too is if someone's walking towards me, I always acknowledge them with my two hips and my two shoulders on that person. So I just swivel my body to where they are so that my dog knows I've seen them. Because I think with some of our dogs, they're just trying to warn us about all the bad things that are out there. And we try and pretend to our dog that we're not seeing it. Make sure they know you've seen it and that you will take care of it. And some of them will just let it go. That's an interesting point because we've been told for years, if something is bothering your dog, ignore it pretend it's not there and just keep walking. But you just made an interesting point where by not acknowledging it, it's telling the dog you don't know it's there and they should do something about it. Going back to what you said, why would you ignore something if it's bothering your dog? That was 
just something that years ago you were taught. If you walked by something that scared your dog, you just kept going. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Huh? Me either. I've oh. always been... If you are around something that bothers your dog, stay there until the dog can relax in that moment. I'm the um, same. And so, like, with reactive dogs, Jill, you brought up a good point just a minute ago, and, and I, I want to define it a little bit differently um, in, like, active anticipation. Like, you're going to actively anticipate what the dog's doing. So, like, when you're reading the dog, like Monique's talking about, with the dog's on locked on target, or the dog said, look, I see this, maybe doing some alarm barking, or their hackles are up. Um, they're giving you some sort of sign. Um, we can actively anticipate this is about to go downhill and I'm going to make a decision to either interrupt this, redirect this, stop this, you know, whatever we're going to be doing. So I like the idea of active anticipation. It's a great tool. Yep, sure. I like what you just said there, Matthew, because for every dog, it is different. Yeah. I think reactivity is one of those things you can never say never to. So there are certain dogs, if I'm working with a very fearful shut down dog, I'm going to tell him good boy the first time he barks because I would rather see a response from him than, than complete shutdown. There are other dogs where they're constantly hunting and so vigilant out there on their walks, so their head's always up and their eyes are scanning everywhere fast. That dog, I want him to start sniffing and dragging me around with his nose down in yeah. one of his first steps, because once he can actually relax enough to start sniffing and enjoying the walk, that's a big step in the right direction. So every single dog needs something different. And I think that's one of the hardest things about reactivity is that a lot of trainers just get stuck on, don't let him pull, don't let him look. Some dogs need to look. Many dogs actually need to look. It does depend on breed. You're not gonna get a German Shepherd's eyes off something if he's worried about it. And I think they're better if they're allowed to look at it. They just need to mind their manners. We talked about uh, a couple of podcasts ago about see it, like where people were overusing this whole see it and they were feeding into the fear. That's different than you acknowledging what the dog's afraid of. If I walk past a fire hydrant and my dog goes bolting to the end of its leash and is pulling like a donkey, just standing there until the dog says, you know what, I can take a step forward this is okay. I'm and, and so like I equate reactivity to not just like snarky, barky, yucky behavior, but also to sometimes to fear, like they're reacting fearfully to something. Just solid leash pressure that is not released while we're acknowledging, okay, I see that you don't like Mr. Fire Hydrant. You're pulling back. I'm not going to move until you take your own steps forward. And when you take your steps forward, then we'll continue our walk. Once you realize that opposition reflex is not your best friend, we're going to take steps forward and we're going to continue our walk. I would handle a reactive dog the same way as I would in that many times. So if a dog is, a, is reacting to something, I may tighten leash pressure until they yield to the leash pressure. And then we'll move on. Because look, your fear... Your reactivity has created a tightening leash. It may have created some more pressure on you until you stop that behavior. Once you stop that behavior, we can get away from whatever it is you don't like. I'm but slightly... I, do take them. I don't take them away from it until 
they're giving me a different behavior. I'm the same with that. In the case of the fire hydrant, obviously it depends on the size of the dog, but I would probably kneel down with my two hips, two shoulders facing fire hydrant, and I would just call my dog in beside me and I want them to lean against me. I'd probably just hang out there for a little bit until they're a little bit more confident. Then when they were feeling like they were ready to go forward, I would walk towards the fire hydrant and I would, don't judge me, I would just pet it and talk to it. Hi, Mr. Fire Hydrant, you'd be a good boy now. And I would walk away from fire hydrant without looking at my dog. Do not look at your dog here, that's the key. And more often than not, every single dog will go up as I've left and sniff the fire hydrant, check it out, and then just continue on with me. And I do similar things to that if I have a fearful dog and a dog's going past. If I have a dog going backwards as someone's coming towards me, I'm going to probably just stop, kneel down with them, call them into me so they're touching me. My body will sandwich them so they're off on the outside. I'm in the middle there. They have a buffer from the other dog and just help them through it without words though. I'm not saying it's okay or anything like that. I'm just silent and stare at the dog that's coming. It's, it's, it's key, I think you don't want to be unintentionally rewarding something they're doing by saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. You know, no. that... go ahead, Matthew. I think that there are dogs that all attention is good attention. Even negative attention is good attention to some dogs. It's like, especially those that have just made their owners crazy with their horrible behavior to where the, the point where the owners have socially abandoned the dog, meaning like they're not spending time with the dog. They're, the dog is a, a burden to them. Um, that dog would be okay with some negative attention because they're yes. social creatures. We have to be careful. That's why words are positive. Silence is golden for a reason. Yes, I agree. Matthew, your next point. Oh, God. Would you like some help? What was my next point? Never make <laughs> a reactive dog feel trapped. Yeah, I, I really like long lines in this instance rather than leashes. Um, and, and the reason I like it is because one of the things that how we teach poor leash is by putting puppies on a leash and, and they start pulling and we don't care that they're pulling because they're little puppies. And so it creates this 90 degree angle from my hand. The leash makes a 90 degree angle with the dog's spine. That is giving all the power to the dog and making us much weaker at this point. And it, it doesn't really matter how you hold the leash here you're still gonna create this 90 degree angle that I don't want. So with all my reactive dogs, I use a 50 foot biothane line and I drop it on the ground and I take their power away by stepping on the line rather than holding it in my hand. It changes the, what's the word that I'm looking for? It changes the angle at which the dogs leash pressure pulls on the leash and so that way that change of angle puts me more in control without having to tell the dog i'm in control uh, you know when I, I see a lot of people dealing with reactive dogs they are on short leashes the dog is already telling you i'm worried about something or something bothers me 
we're trapping but we're trapping them in on short leashes with but we're giving them the power so they're trapped and they're they've got the upper hand and so that is one of the things that i want to avoid so when i a lot of times when i have a dog that's trapped with other dogs simply stepping on the line rather than holding it in my hand gives me a 50 percent up advantage and i can dogs that were really reactive with other dogs walking by and all that just by dropping the leash and stepping on it i can stop about 50 percent of that because i'm changing the there's a word that i'm looking for i'm changing the physics of how the dog is on the leash has control versus on on the long line i have control so the physics of it is pretty incredible and i was reading a study about this which is what made me start trying it i started trying it based on this study that i was watching and i have to try to find it to make it put it in the podcast that's cool i will think about that you said about them not feeling trapped i too, with certain types of dogs, and this again goes back to being able to read dogs and knowing your dog types, I'm going to either start them off leash or on a long line. Probably if I'm doing residential stuff, my go-to is a flexi leash, same. Some of them just need that freedom. If they're not feeling so trapped, they can do it. They have so much more success and feel yeah. safer and they are, are more open. They don't feel as much like a pressure cooker when they have that freedom there. I think I do this with a lot of the herding breeds, definitely with Border Collies and a lot of my Mexican street dogs. I'm starting them in this way. Yeah, and, and everybody knows, like, I have really liked, like, a Herm Springer. Like, prong collars, to me, do a lot of really great things. This is just one place I don't use them. And so I feel like the prong makes the dog feel like it doesn't have a choice. It can add to the trapped feeling. So I, I don't use those here. I typically just use a flat, like a rolled buckle collar or a, a flat collar. Interesting. All right. One of my next points was just handling things. If you're going past a dog and it's the same, not making them feel trapped. So even in my handling, if I do have them on a short leash and I am trapped in a residential place so that they don't have that feeling of being held so tight, drop your leash shoulder. So even if I have to hold my leash short, there's always a dip in the line on the leash so it's not tight. Then if I drop my shoulder that's holding it, that doesn't make them feel so trapped and it loosens, they know you will see a big difference in them. So there's zero tension on that leash, but it is short enough that they can't fly out and grab something. Yeah. That's I tend it. to knock long line at every like 10 feet. So I, okay. I think that will do the same thing that you're seeing there. Like when the long line for me was one way to make the dog not feel so trapped. Most of the time, the reactivity started the moment one little bit of tension was pulled on the leash yes. and the dog's fly off the handle and it's, whoa, I don't want any of that. If I'm creating that, then I need to stop creating that. The other thing that when we talk about a dog feeling trapped, being in a confined space, dog training facilities are kind of small spaces that we, you don't see these big grandiose training centers very often. 
And so their dogs are all in a small space. And like the feeling with my poodle, he was in a very small space. Pushed in. Dog doesn't know. And he'd stay away from me. He'd stay away from me. And I, there was just a lot wrong there with that space. It's out of character for the poodle. It was simply tight space, strange dogs. And he's, hey, I, I went out of this. And so I try to keep them out of buildings. If I can be out, I'm much happier working a dog that is reactive or defensive outside. When you're walking your residential neighborhoods to practice pass-bys and stuff like that, are you still using a long line with these dogs? Yeah. Okay. And then as you're about to pass by someone, you're just stepping on it at the 10-foot mark? At the 10-foot mark. And most of the time, because I've done line stepping work for in preparation for recall and loose leash walking, nine times out of, nine times out of ten, that dog, the moment I step on that line, takes its focus off of the dog that it's looking at and looks back at me. So I feel like that line stepping precursor. And there was a I put a, posted a video of my little boarding train on my start to finish page of me doing just some long line stepping like it. It's very sheepdogish. <laughs> um, it's very hurting, but I find it to be very beneficial. It's like a belly loop. Like a belly loop can be very beneficial when we don't have a way to control a dog any other way. We take young dogs to sheep sometimes on a belly loop. I would handle, I always tell people that are in the park with their dogs that are trying to eat mine. <laughs> I'm like, hey, can I help you with your leash? And, and I give them a belly loop and I can instantly take the dog out of it, uh, focused on my dogs. I'm hoping that's making everybody safer. So I give them that rather than giving them uh, some other tool. I use, I do use leash wrapping a fair bit. What I don't like about it when it comes to reactive dogs is my leash control. The pivot point is like at the back of their ribs, like two-thirds of the way down their spine. Maybe not two-thirds. I have a really deformed dog, if that's the case. But <laughs> I don't have control of their head. So I love my belly wrap, but I'm a little bit chicken with it, depending on the dog I'm working with for reactivity. A, a dog that would redirect, it, it definitely can invoke some, some interesting behavior. If the dog is already in a heightened state and you tighten the belly loop, they may turn around, snap at the line. They may turn around, snap at you. That's, that's... No, I'm more worried because people walking past me where mm -hmm. I am are going to be within reach. Mm -hmm. We don't have big open spaces here necessarily. That person coming by, I need to make sure my dog couldn't reach them. And on the belly band, you just don't quite have that control. No, you definitely don't. Yeah. I tend to work most of mine on that kind of thing before we get too crowded. Okay. Maybe that's a place to have a second leash on. Could be. A, a second leash, why? Because then you still have control of their head if you need to. I was a little denser. That went right over my head. Ah. Safety. I think that all safety is super important. Anytime I'm working with a reactive dog, I don't care if it's in the heat of Florida, summer, I wear long sleeves, I wear jeans. Uh, I try to make sure that if something bad is could happen, that 
I try to protect myself. And I think that's an important thing that like, I see a lot of dog trainers posting videos of them in shorts and flip-flops. It's like, yeah. this is not the attire for dealing with a dog that could potentially escalate into a problem. Agreed. Through and through. Yeah, definitely. Wear clothes where you have leeway. Like my jacket is made from motorbike fabric. If I get bitten through it, it really minimizes any bite I'm going to get, which means if I find myself in a situation, I can feed my arm. I can pick. <laughs> it doesn't happen often. I, I'm thinking about this was a couple of years back with a young Malinois and I kind of knew it was in there with him, but he hadn't misbehaved, but I was being careful. So I just sat on a bench with him and he decided now's that moment. I was, had my jacket on, gave him a part that would hurt the least. Yes, um, wear proper equipment. Can we talk about, can we talk about aggression? So you and I had this conversation about um, while we were preparing for this. And the, as young as it sounds, none of us advocate dog fighting. But to learn about aggression to learn about genetic aggression and know that you can't love them all through it. They, true genetic aggression, you have to go to the source. And that doesn't mean that you have to go visit a bunch of dogfighters, but you had to go and read about real genetic aggression. And so in doing that, I realized, one of the things that it made me realize in my research about genetic aggression was that most of our dogs that our local dog clubs can't handle, and, and, I, and that's not saying there aren't great trainers in local dog clubs. It's saying that volunteer trainers have no business dealing with these any animal that could potentially hurt them. So I think the clubs and stuff need a trainer, a resource that is used to handling animals of this nature, and they should refer these people out to them. I think that is good for business on both sides. And I also think that it is responsible for our pet communities. But in, I'm getting off topic. As going through the real genetic aggression, we're talking about dogs that would fight for three and a half hours. Yeah. We're not talking about a dog that barks yucky at another dog on leash. And then when they get off leash, they're like, oh, let's be kumbaya buddies. We're, when, so we really do have to explain the difference between true aggression dogs would fight like to fight They're it's almost like their neurons in their body stop working and they're not feeling pain from their pain receptors they are just enjoying the fight like they that that's what they do versus dogs that may grumble growl roll spit for 10 minutes or four minutes or one minute a dog makes a, a snarky noise at a dog show and everybody's that dog's Aggressive is not using words. I'm going to disagree with your 10 minutes because that's a long time for snarking. That was too long. But most of our dogs are like on a leash. And at most, if they manage to grab something, they're going to shake and let go. That's yeah. not what we are discussing here. Right. We're talking. It's one of those things that when you see it, you never look at dogs the same again. No. It haunts you. Yeah, you'll have, a, 
once you see true aggression, once you've dealt with a dog that is truly aggressive, um, you realize how scary management becomes. Like, yep. it's like, oh, God, I'm going to try to convince these people they can manage this dog. No, they really can't manage this dog. I don't know that anybody can manage this dog. When I was in Florida, I there was a, a rescue organization that had dogs in a kennel for over a year. And they're trying to convince you that these dogs are sweet and nice. And it's, I can't even walk near the kennel. Yeah. Near the kennel. it They sit there and, and chew on the bars at me for three, four, five, six, seven minutes until I leave. And they've gotten used to that happening. It'd be pretty scary. I agree. It's a very different picture than what we're talking about. And I do believe when we are talking about dogs like that, they are never changing. You can add management protocols, but you will never change the genetics of that dog. You may be able to space out the number of the time in between fights or desire to fight, but... The intensity of the fight will never change No. in that dog. Not. No matter how much you train, it just comes down to management. I see that right now in the dog training community, I see so many young new trainers trying to take on these cases and just try to squash the dog with an e-collar. The problem with that is that it's just going to boil over. And this isn't what e-collars were meant for. You're going to create a bigger pressure cooker at some point. And they'll argue, oh, no, you don't but we never get to follow up on these dogs. And so how many of us have had to take on a client and try to explain to them, I, I'm just evaluating your dog. I know I'm dog trainer number four that you've been with. This might not be fixable. And so I think that it's important for dog trainers to, to protect themselves a little bit. And, and I don't know the best way to do that other than putting in writing the evaluation of the dog and being truthful. That's not always easy. Being truthful. I think you need fellow dog trainers that you have great respect for, that you can bounce ideas off. Because sometimes in moments like this, I know that I can't train it, but then you wonder, can someone else? And I hate to limit it just in case it isn't me. So referring out to a second person that you trust is also a very good idea in those moments. Yeah. And, and if you don't have that, I know that there was one trainer that was like most dogs that they had to refer out. They gave them a statement of, we don't feel this dog is safe at this point. We're going to recommend that you go to another trainer. This might be something more their expertise. I think that putting that those kind of statements in writing is not a bad idea. I think that's a good idea because that is at least saying, hey, you have a problem. We're not able to help fix it, but we recognize that you have a problem that needs fixed. Yes. So I think some of these statements, I think that some dog trainers will have a conversation with somebody, but it's not backed up in writing. I would like to see dog trainers back some of these statements up in writing in order to limit their liability on a dog that they've evaluated that might hurt somebody. And I think, too, in some of these conversations with clients, like there's just so much information being 
shared and some of it's quite overwhelming that some stuff gets lost a fair bit of it sometimes gets lost so don't you emotional like it's an emotional like if your wonderful pippa decided to go crazy and start biting people how hard would it be for you to accept that all of a sudden this dog that you love may have a screw loose yep that would be an emotional conversation so i don't i believe that a lot of dogs can be saved i don't believe they all can be saved the reactive dogs can be saved react yes true aggressive dog true aggression dogs it's going to depend on the owners their time their commitment their ability to keep people safe in the process it's a whole different deal something else I would like to add to that is your street dogs, your little Mexican street dogs, the ones coming from further away, they can't be trained the same as a normal locally bred reactive dog. They need different ways. They need someone who understands that type of brain because those dogs act so poor and they feel so trapped in enclosed spaces. So if they are just being taught to walk on a loose leash or residential streets in a tight building they just panic they really struggle with that so those dogs need a trainer who understands and is prepared to tweak their training for them yeah like the chinese meat dogs that were coming yep. over excuse yeah for sure jill tell us one of your struggles that you had to overcome with sizzle <laughs> there were so many i know we touched on it in one of the other podcasts about her wearing a prong collar to realize that she didn't always have to be in a rush to do whatever she thought she should be doing. Um, that was enough to just cool her off a little bit and allow her to enjoy herself without being in a panic. But I know that played a big part in it and I can't pinpoint the other things that I did with her other than a big part of it was training with Monique and just being around someone who wasn't panicking when she made a bad choice. It allowed me to see her for who she was and realize not everything is the end of the world, but finding somebody who is familiar with the type of dog, the temperament that you're dealing with. And just being able to not necessarily mimic them, but just watch and see how they are around them. Because if you can copycat that, a, a lot of that will not go away, but will really improve. Just being around you and seeing you not freak out when Sizzle would get snarky with one of the other dogs. Okay. She, yeah. Initially, you were quite reactive, you, not your dog. I so, was. Yeah. So that's how you stopped being unreactive, was just being around calmer people who... Yeah. It, it's, it's a tough one to describe, but really it was just realizing that I didn't have to be so worried about her behavior. It wasn't she wasn't horrible i thought she was yes 
Yeah, I, I never read Sizzle as horrible. I, I will be honest, you have a breed like a golden retriever that are happy and love everybody. And and then you have one that I don't love everybody. And, and I'm sure that's a big change. It's a big shock. How many goldens have you had prior to Sizzle? Six, I think. And, and I'm sure none of them were like her. I had one that was worse than her. <laughs> but no, for the most part, no, they're pretty easy to have. She was a big challenge. I do think there is a breed part there too. Having a reactive golden isn't accepted. Exactly. By other people. And there is judgment that comes with that. And some people just won't listen to you and just proceed to do whatever they wanted to do with your dog anyway. Because there is a, a golden doesn't demand the respect that some other breeds would if you say, leave my dog alone, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A blue brint Dutch Shepherd. That would be, that would definitely not be like, come pet my dog. <laughs> yeah. A cane corso. As you are, you're dealing with your own dogs. There's an immense amount of like shame. Oh, I'm a bad trainer because my dog acts this way. No, it's temperament is temperament. You, there's no shame in your dog's temperament. And I do see this in the sport community a lot. Dogs act up at a dog trial. They bark at another dog. They do it. And, and everybody loses their mind. It's look, this is just what dogs do. Like you do realize that you're dealing with predators, right? They're opportunistic little predators that we have fallen in love with. They're still opportunistic little predators. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's just the way it is. I think Caesar said one of the funniest things. He said, in Mexico, dogs are dogs. In America, dogs have birthday parties. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Said. And, and that causes a lot of these problems because then we start internalizing the fact that our dog is reactive. Your dog's a dog. Well, and so many of my clients, very responsible people who research dogs when they got theirs and they tried to do everything right. And then their dog hits puberty and is just a problem. And they can't understand why they're not succeeding because they're doing everything that they believe they should be doing. So their confidence starts to get battered a little bit, which makes the dog misbehave more because now they've lost some of their strength. And it just keeps going and going. So be kind to yourself. Everyone ends up with a reactive dog at some point. If they haven't yet, their next one will be. And I always believe the worse they judge you, the, that their dog will be equally bad <laughs> when they get their next one. My first batch of dogs, I think every one of them was reactive until I learned what I needed to learn. And I've never had to struggle with one since. But everyone gets them. It's not a judgment on you or anything else. Certainly. Don't let it beat you down. And yeah, and when you start to feel like that, then you don't want to go out and do things with your dog. So you're, it just makes the problem worse because you're not getting out and, and trying to make things better. And dogs still have bad days where they just misbehave. It doesn't matter. Every dog will do it at some point. Yep. Uh, maybe not that, but dogs have bad days and misbehave. Yep. It's just like your competition dog. How many times have you done 400 go out? whatever they get to the train they act like they've never done one before um yep. it's it, you know, that, 
that's not training. That's some days are just bad. It's just not your day today. On those days, I always recommend that the people that have reactive dogs, that they go to places where their dog won't find their trigger five days a week. But the other I two agree. days, a week, I want you to go where your dog has a trigger. I want the dog to know that every time it leaves the house, it's not going to encounter its trigger. But I do want it. I do want you to have an opportunity to practice it, just not every single day. I think that the more that they practice bad behavior, the more that I don't know if my client is going to control that bad behavior. So I'm like five days a week, no trigger. Two days a week, a trigger. I think that our diligent clients keep practicing and practicing, thinking practice makes perfect. But right. in this case, our dogs need the non-trigger walks to teach them patience that they can then use on the walks that you do come across their triggers. You can't just keep taking from them and taking. You have to put it in on the walks without the triggers so that they can handle the difficult ones. You need to find the right ratio for your dog. Many of the ones I'm working with need about five to 10 beach and forest walks for each residential walk. In the process of retraining a reactive dog, because it is all a process, as things are getting better, there comes a stage, I do believe, where we then need to show them that people walking past us are normal. And that's as simple as turning to the poorest person, just saying good morning. Or if my dog then chooses to lose it, casually stand there and handling him and not moving away and have a conversation with the person. Eventually they settle. At some point they need to just watch us and how relaxed we are in these moments and that we're not scared of the dog coming towards us, that we're totally casual. We can just normal voice, normal relaxed posture. That is a big piece for a lot of reactive dogs that have done the training but aren't progressing towards the next step. I also think that there's so much where, like, obviously, if you live in an apartment in downtown New York, this is going to be a much different conversation with you than it is going to be somebody that lives in the country. Um, I agree. I think my success as a trainer in rehabbing dogs is really turning a city dog into a country dog. So I would be out of my element in the city, though. I guess a big part of my training is getting them to move their legs. So if I didn't have the forests and beaches for that, oh, Harry, instead I would be using um, bikes, getting them to move their feet in that way. Socio demographics and things like that do, do play a part into how we are going to have to handle them. And this is why we can't always focus just on the dog. We have to focus on the human too and their needs. Because if you live on the fifth floor, and you take your dog down the stairwell and people passing by are a problem, um, you're going to encounter that every single day. The dog's never going to get a reprieve from that. It's now we have to think outside the box on how do we get them from point A to point B without their triggers every single day because I need you to not have your triggers every single day. I need you to not feel like every time you're on a leash, you're trapped and you're going to encounter something bad or that you deem bad. I so agree. And I think with some of those dogs, certainly not all, I'm going to use something on the dog 
that can take their focus off the person and put it elsewhere. So I will have a hairband on a leg or just one leg with a bell on it or a pool noodle attached to a piece of string, which is attached to their collar. So as they walk, it kind of swings and moves around their legs or shop in your recycling container and attach something there to their collar. So it's banging, not, not banging like loud sound, but interfering with their leg movement. But I mean, I'm talking a little piece of plastic lid off of something like a salad container. I'm going so to do something that puts their focus elsewhere. It's so funny because a lot of the dogs that I get when we've done walks and stuff, I'll use something like that. If I've noticed they get into briars and they can't stand it being like in their britches, I might put scotch tape in their pants. Yes, exactly. Be like, be like okay, so now you've got that to think about. Don't think yep. about everything else. But like, I only find that like about 40% of the dogs, that, like I've got an Australian shepherd here that it would absolutely work on because if she gets a piece of straw in her britches, she can't walk. Like she can't think <laughs> about anything else. And I'm like, Panda, let go of it. It's fine. It's a piece of straw. And she's just like, I can't think about anything else for this straw. I love that. With I love if I'm going to have a reactive dog, I really want them to do that. And scotch tape is my go-to. I love like, scotch. I love I've never done that. I love that idea. That's I so easy. Scotch. Yeah, it's super easy. And I, I normally stick it like, where their leg, their hawk starts, and yep. where their bridges, I stick it right in there. And the, and that dog's look at this, and I can get them from point A to point B without, it's so funny that you were saying that. And I actually learned this trick because I had a reactive dog that I started pack walking, and she got a cactus, because in <laughs> Sebring, we had cactus all over the place. And you could, you almost couldn't get, you couldn't walk without them. And she got a cactus stuck in her britches and all these people and dogs were coming by, but she could only focus on the cactus. So I was like, <laughs> this is perfect. I need more cactus. So I started using that state there. Eventually they do become invincible. <laughs> <laughs> but this is where I spend my time shopping at the dollar store in the party section. <laughs> I have entire drawers full of stuff like Hawaiian lays and grass skirts and... <laughs> All this silly stuff, rattles that I can attach to their collars that dangle down. It works. This stuff just works. It takes their brain off of out there and puts their brain in so they can focus. Yeah. And, and it doesn't take long for them to realize, you know what? I've been letting this go past me while I've been dealing with scotch tape and it was okay. Yeah. Nothing bad happened. Attached to that, though, we're saying nothing bad happened. Nothing bad can happen if you're doing that. Um, right. You are your dog's bodyguard. So I never turn my back on another dog. I always face them, two hips, two shoulders. I'm facing that dog. And if they approached, I'm not going to let them get to my little reactive dog. There will come a stage where I will if they're nice, but I'm just going to block them or throw out a cookie or something to stop them from getting to my dog because I'm telling this little dog I don't want you to use your teeth but on the flip of that I also promise you you will not need to there may come a time and a place they need to and at that moment they're going to know that I was beside them helping them fight they're I not out there on their own I also have found that there are times 
where I may use a pet corrector, which I, if I have a dog that's severely reactive where some of the lower level things are not working, rather than escalate into a bigger correction, the pet correctors really snap their brain out of, I mean, it can be scary. So I'm, I'm not saying that it's not, can't be scary because it's loud and it, it's air, it's compressed air, but I will sometimes use those and I will use them uh, almost as a, as a complete negative. So like they're, they're focused on the dog. I can't get them to stop no matter how far away I get, no matter how, if scotch tape or not, if I can't get past that, I may use a pet corrector. And I, I've had actually a lot of good success in using the pet correctors. I think of German shepherds. I've used them on many a German shepherd. Yeah, actually that's who I've used them on too. I, one of the other things that I think is super important for dogs that are reactive to other dogs is to have a neutral pack. Like without that, my dogs are my biggest tool. If I can't, if you can't get to eventually be with packs that you can feel safe with, I'm never going to get you past the goal line. My growl class that I changed how I taught now my first four weeks are the dogs off leash together. And in that four weeks now, they're becoming friends. Like they're learning how to read each other, how to get along, how like some of them run up ahead. There's two boys who are absolutely in love with the German Shepherd bitch. She's a very polite, timid, sweet dog who has to put up with these two boys like licking her ears and her cheeks and telling her how beautiful she is for the walk. So she's getting braver, more patient. They might be getting more annoying, but hey, at least they're behaving with this young lady. So just through the process of them all being out there together, they're all learning so much right now from each other. Dogs have to have a dog friend or two to teach them. They have to. We can only get them so far without that. They must have dogs who they can get along with that they behave with. The so neutral like, pack is so important. Yeah, so like my, my puppy, Rio, um, he left his siblings at six weeks. Um, it was a, I had another bitch that would nurse him, and he had other little siblings he could have. But I put him in with the other puppies at six weeks, and he was – little bigger than they were but what he really learned was that these aren't my siblings but i can coexist with them i can play with them and, and things we can still teach each other by inhibition and we can still do these things when it comes to my older dogs what i find is that they are solidifying that i'm the most fun thing in the world because my older girls are like look we don't want you around we would like to, to tear you to pieces and they're like, and you're annoying. So go away. So he just comes and hangs out with me. So he doesn't find fun in them, but he also has learned to respect their body language, which I think a lot of dogs that are put into single dog households at eight weeks old, I don't think they get, they've only had eight weeks of life with another dog. Now you've got them. They've been three years alone. And now you want to take them to the dog park. They don't, and, they don't know. Anything. And they're going to puppy play groups and they're going to daycare and they're 
only going with dogs their age or under a year. So they're all young dogs. Your puppy needs to be playing with like older geriatrics who are calm, who aren't phased by the world, but also won't allow him to be a monster. We'll teach yeah. him nice manners that they're not going to overreact if their feelings get hurt. Um, they're just solid and stable. Those are who you need raising your young dogs, not their peers. I don't know if you remember this, but I, I was raising um, Ray when she was little. And it was the 4th of July, and I was I had an old Westie that was here that was boarding that was deaf. I remember so, that. Yeah, and so I took him outside with Ray, and Ray was enamored with this Westie because she'd never seen one before. And the, th the fireworks started. He couldn't hear the fireworks. So he was oblivious to everything that was going on. And Ray's hearing them, and she's looking around, and then she looks at him, and she immediately calms down. Yeah. So like that old dog is, can be such a blessing. Like, yes. Like, even with Rio, who wants to play desperately with other dogs, he doesn't get that chance because my older pack is, you're annoying, learn your place. And so he just keeps coming back to me. And I, I told you guys, the biggest thing for me with letting my dogs be around other dogs is that they check me. They're teaching him that. It's a beautiful thing. My pack is my biggest tool for activity. Yep. I agree with you on that. All reactive dogs have to have a dog friend, hopefully a stable dog friend. But I have also found that rehabbed reactive dog becomes a super teacher for the next reactive dog coming in. They can sometimes be the most patient. <laughs> Kate, has Kate made that? <laughs> with border collies, yes. Yeah, borders like other borders. Kate's super with border collies and nothing else. Kate's fine. Kate's great until we're standing still or it's an enclosed space. Yep. So we She's just don't do that. We, we don't stop. <laughs> we put her away somewhere safe first and then we stop. Any other thoughts here, guys? This was one of those podcasts that everybody wanted. They want us to keep going with reactivity because it's such a big topic. There's still so much that, to be said on it, but I really think that this conversation has been excellent. There's so much to be said, and I have so many thoughts swirling around in my head here because we we jump a little bit on this, but I don't know how we can be more structured. It's really hard. Again, because everybody's definition of reactivity is different. We have to explain the difference between aggression and reactivity, um, some Ooh, fear. You made me have a thought. Can I say it, please? This was one I had earlier. Um, we've spoken about regression, but there are breeds. The working breeds are different. So a lot of them were bred to have regression. Maybe regression is the wrong word. But you have work ethic that overrides. So if I see a very serious German Shepherd, a very serious Rottweiler, there is work ethic there that can override your aggression. And these dogs also respond very well to corrections. Of course, there are some exceptions to this. But work ethic is an amazing thing. The game terriers are just 
different. They're truly adrenaline junkies that just want to fight. This is a good point too. Sorry. Sorry. To, I thought we were going to be able to close, but I have to share that a lot of you that have followed me on Facebook for years will remember Snappy Eddie, the massive yes. show that I took in and, and rehabbed. He just celebrated his sixth year with his family and they love him. It's great little dog. That was a dog that had six bites in his bite history, but I was really confused why the I had to go get him because all it took was me just saying, hey, knock it off. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of people that could just tell their dog stop, and they would. There are some dogs that won't, and that's why you need help professionally. But knock it off is okay. Like, all Eddie needed was me to say, to grab him and give him a scruff shake, stop it. I, I don't know why I had to drive 14 hours to get him to do that, but it ended up a real thing. Like, it really, it ended up in a, a good thing, and I wanted to share that Eddie got his sixth birthday with his new family. I work with so many people who have been told they are never allowed to tell their dog off. Mm -hmm. So when these moments happen, they're just frozen, not knowing what to do. And if they would just do something in that moment, they would make the, they would make it stop. Life well, like would be so much easier for all. So you all have permission, make it stop. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Like you had this conversation about the working breeds that their work ethic will. I believe that still holds true in even the want to be with people, want to please people with certain breeds. Like Eddie was a Sheltie. Can we all think of a Sheltie biting somebody's hilarious? He's a 38 pound Sheltie. So he's a Sholly. And at 38 pounds, his bite is going to hurt. Like it's, it, uh, it doesn't matter if it's a Sheltie or not, it's going to hurt. And he drew blood and bit six people. So when I tell you that he was a dog that all you had to do was say, knock it off. And so like when I want to encourage people that have dogs that are like herding breeds or biddable type dogs, it may not be this big extensive rehab. It may literally just be knock it off. Yeah. With a German shepherd, teach him to down. If he wants yeah. to go bark at another dog, just down, make him lie down. It's that easy with the German Shepherd. Famous last words. Now my next German Shepherd is going to be awful. But work ethic is an amazing thing. Or a biddable dog. Just tell them that you don't like it. Yeah. We're allowed to do that. And I, we talked about Anne on the podcast. I took Eddie up to, his name is now Flash. But I took Eddie to that seminar. And he tried to try me in the middle of the seminar. And I just told him to knock it off. I'm like, knock it off. And went back to talking. And he's, oh, okay, I guess I'm not allowed to, to bite you in the middle of the clinic with everybody watching. He, I, he was one of these dogs that when I saw his face and I saw the videos of what he was practicing, I'm like, this is so fixable. Like sometimes you just look at him and know, I can fix this. Yes. Some of them you're like, I don't know if I can fix this. <laughs> yes. Like you can read the dog. And I knew that he was worth my drive. Like I knew that he was worth me going 14 hours to save him. And I, I was in an emotional state. He looked like my novice a Shelty. Another purely positive trainer had just basically euthanized a, a dog that was a friend of mine. And I wanted to do something like I was helpless. I felt helpless. I wanted to do something. So I went and saved Eddie because I could save Eddie. And we did. And I'm 
super, super proud of his owners and the family that has him and the work that they've done with him. A little happy ending. Good. Well done. Yeah. We're all so quiet tonight. I've been pretty just an audience tonight. I don't have a lot of experiences with reactive dogs. You do from the, you've had to go through it yourself. The struggles, the mental turmoil, the panic, the not feeling accepted, all of that stuff that everyone has to go through. A good trick for that, when you're out in public with your reactive dog and you're worried about people that are judging you, is to pretend it's someone else's dog that you're training. Because <laughs> truly, if you're like, sorry, not my dog, and you just go about what you're training, much easier to deal with emotionally <laughs> than it being your own dog. Oh, something I've done if I've had a dog that's totally misbehaving in that moment is I've looked at people and just, because again, I don't move on if they're misbehaving, so I just stand and have a conversation. And I've asked them, would you like him? <laughs> but yeah, just take it in light. Don't get so emotional in those moments that your dog is misbehaving. If your dog can't get the same rise from you, it really deflates them. Deflates them not in a bad way, but oh, why isn't it bothering you anymore? It changes everything when they're seeing that you're totally stable in that moment. They become more stable too. Yep. All right. Are we going to end this one? We are. I think that's good. <laughs> this was a quiet one. It's very quiet. Too quiet. <laughs> We're trying to be good. <laughs> what? We're trying We're to be good, but it will only last for a week or two. Then yeah. Jill will misbehave again. <laughs> Jill. Please make sure you like, follow, and share. We feel free for to give us any of the feedback that you might want to give. Um, we have we've received quite a bit of feedback, good, bad, and different. And we appreciate everybody that took the time to to listen to the podcast, share it. Please keep it up. That's how we have been doing so good on Apple statistics. Super proud of that. And we will see you guys next time. Thank you, Matthew, for buying a new microphone. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Good night.